think everyone experiences the feelings of, I don't think I'm going to be able to pull this off, but they usually come immediately after and right before your feeling of like a high of, look what I did. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Seek the Joy podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. On the podcast this week is Nina Ojeda, the CEO and founder of Pret, a membership service for blowouts at the best salons in your city. And I was so excited to connect with Nina and to have her on the podcast because I really wanted to learn and hear from someone who has been so successful in the startup space. And before I really introduce you to Nina, I want to introduce you to Pret. So how exactly does Pret work? Well, by partnering with high-end salons all over the country, they book your blowouts at the salons closest to you at the time you want. So their concierge will find you a five-star salon spot anytime you'd like in any of their markets. Right now, they're in Atlanta, Austin, Chicago, Dallas, Los Angeles, Nashville, New York City, Orange County, San Diego, and San Francisco. And they're coming soon to Washington, D.C., Houston, and Miami. And what I love so much about Pret is that you can really have a great hair day every day. And honestly, sign me up for that. So Nina is a serial entrepreneur, a writer, and a speaker, and before launching Pret, she founded The Avenue West, a go-to-market agency that focuses on launching startups and building growth stage companies. She actually sold The Avenue West in 2016 prior to really diving all in with Pret, and she continues to serve as a strategic advisor there. And Nina also writes a weekly column for Inc. Magazine, and she frequently lectures and sits on panels about startup survival and entrepreneurship. When she's not working or getting a blowout, she's likely spending time with her rescue dogs and her fiance. And on today's episode, we chat all about Nina's love for entrepreneurship, how her start in PR and marketing really led her to launching Pret, and she really breaks it down for us what it really takes to successfully launch a startup. We also chat about imposter syndrome, not being afraid to ask questions, and the importance of building a strong community and network around you. Nina also shares the biggest risk that she's ever taken, plus how she's been able to maintain such a strong mindset and positive perspective while really fully immersing herself in the world of serial entrepreneurship and startups. And she also shares how being creative and supporting other businesses in their growth really brings her the most joy. Before we dive into this week's episode, you know I have to share with you the iTunes review of the week, and this week it comes from ISA underscore 456, and it says, can't wait for more. Sydney is well-spoken and lively when she speaks. If a host doesn't speak from the heart, I'm out, but Sydney is genuine and makes you want to listen and learn. Can't wait for more episodes. Well, ISA underscore 456, thank you so much for this kind review and for taking a couple of seconds to rate and review Seek the Joy podcast on Apple iTunes. If you've been enjoying this podcast, if a topic or a guest has resonated with you or impacted your life in some way, or if you just want to support the podcast and support me and you feel so inspired to leave us a rating and review, I would be so grateful. Just make sure to take a screenshot of your review and send it to sydney at seekthejoypodcast.com. And to say thank you, I will send you my guide for infusing more joy into your life, which is 
totally based on all of these conversations, as well as a couple of limited edition Seek the Joy podcast stickers. And as always, to learn more about today's episode, head over to the show notes section of our website, seekthejoypodcast.com slash show dash notes, and everything is right there. All right, guys, that's it. I can't wait for you to hear this week's new episode with Nina. I had such a great time connecting with her and her passion, drive, and love for entrepreneurship and creating is truly inspiring. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Nina. and founder of Pret, which is a membership salon um, to get blowouts across the country. Prior to launching Pret, I had a go-to-market strategy agency where we worked with a ton of different early-stage startups. We mostly managed pre-Series A, but we did do a couple of other bigger companies as well, like Orly, the nail polish company. Um, Guilt City was another client for a little while, but Really what um, I love to do is build early stage companies, manage customer acquisition, um, and stunt marketing. I love this. Okay, so how did you get involved in the world of PR and marketing and startups to begin with? Yes, it was actually kind of, um, it was sort of by accident, which I think happens to a lot of people who start businesses. Um, I was at a PR agency for a few years. It was at two different PR agencies for a few years prior to starting the Avenue West, and what I ended up what I ended up realizing one day was I was working 18, sometimes 20 hours a day, mm-hmm. um, and I really didn't feel like I was contributing anything to society. Mm-hmm. I was working with really large corporate clients that you know had budgets in the 250 thousand plus range to do marketing and PR, and I felt like we were just doing the same things over and over and over again. I mean, how many parties can you go to, to for a launch of a shoe? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I, um, I also had a pretty difficult boss, um, or it's really it was a difficult organization, and it was very stereotypical PR girl. It wasn't in, a, in the best light. Did you ever watch um, the Kroll show, Publicity? I don't know if you've ever seen that on on Comedy Central, but it no, truly, it. highly recommended. Okay. It, it truly, truly depicted what my PR experience was wow. um, right before the Avenue S. So I ended up quitting quitting a little earlier. I was only 24. So I just made a really snap decision and I decided I was just going to leave, but I didn't have any money at all, like to my name. And so I figured, all right, well, worst case scenario, I just moved home to my parents' house. And at the time I was speaking with a company that a producer friend of mine um, recommended to me. And he, he and I were just talking about his PR options. He did speak with the agency, but hadn't really signed anything yet and was just asking me questions back and forth. And I figured, you know, the, the right thing to do since I just quit would be to call him and let him know that he, I'm no longer going to be on his account because I was his point of contact and right. I was the one who was recommended. So I called him and he essentially asked me, well, what are, where are you going? Because I'd like to talk to that firm. And I kind of just decided that that moment, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go off on my own. Hmm. So he was my first client. And ever since from there, I don't think I ever really planned on building an agency with staff and multiple clients and things like that. I think I figured I'll do this for a little while so I don't have to like starve. Right. <laughs> and, um, and from there, it'll just go. And, and for, for whatever reason, it just kept rolling. And as soon as people found out that I was also on my own, 
my friends are recommending people, our, my, my clients continue to recommend more. And it ended up growing to a point of where I had to decide, you know what, I'm either going to do this or I'm going to go find a job in-house somewhere else. Um, and so I decided I was just going to do it. So we, we grew quite a bit um, in, in a few years. And around year two and a half, or actually, no, it was around year three, mm-hmm. um, where I I was sort of, the company had grown to a, a mass where I was either going to make another decision to just keep making it bigger, restructure everything, and sell the agency to a larger company. But what ended up happening was a friend of mine, Dan, um, who, he was at a early stage VC fund where we represented a bunch of his clients. Mm-hmm. He and I started talking about potentially incubating something where we manage the marketing and customer acquisition and he managed the finances. And so Pret ended up being that incubated project. Oh, wow. And so one day we were working on, I was working on it. I worked, I built like a really terrible website one weekend and <laughs> that was what Pret was in the beginning. It was just like, let's see if anyone was going to use this. And by the next morning, I had a couple of friends who had tried out the service who were in like the blogger editor area. Yeah. And uh, they all, a couple of them wrote about it. And we had a thousand customers in the next morning and we didn't know what to do about it because we didn't have any, we didn't have any way to manage them. Like there was wow. no technology. It was literally us and a website, right? So yeah. And again, another turning point in my career was, all right, what do we do now? I cannot run two businesses. I cannot have both of these things take off at the same time. Right. So a friend of mine, actually, who has an agency, her agency is a collection of what was three. She ended up buying the Avenue West, and now the Avenue West is running without me. I'm not really a part of it. I I work with them on strategy and a few clients here Mm -hmm. and there, but Pret is now my my full-time focus. Wow. Okay. It was quite long-winded. No, this is amazing. And I just love this journey. And so what was it like for you waking up that next morning after just putting a website out there with really no expectations of what it would turn into, if it would even turn into anything at all? I mean, what was that feeling like waking up and seeing like, holy crap, like there's a thousand people who want to do this and I have no infrastructure and I have to figure all of this out. No space. Right. So what was that like? Yeah, it was it was super first my first reaction was this is amazing and so super validating and look what we did we're going to we're going to be so successful and then within nanoseconds i was like oh <laughs> <yeah>. right <laughs> like what do i do now and so i kind of you know there was always the opportunity to like build something later and we you know you always have to put out a minimum viable product right this was right. maybe the minimum of the most minimum viable product we really wow. didn't do anything to build it and so at that point i was like all right well now i have to hire a customer support person obviously mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. needs to like be number 1 and number 2 i need to make a decision on what i'm going to do next and for a few months, I actually had to do both things, and I swear I've never been more stressed out in my life. And the thing that, the thing with me and stress, though, is that it doesn't show up like normal people. Right. I got like a full body rash, and it's actually <sighs> a sister of shingles. Very similar. It's, it's wow. kind of the same sort of virus of shingles and chicken pox. It's called pityriasis rosea. Oh, my God. <laughs> literally, it's the ain't nothing you can do about it version of those oh, of because course. you just have to ride it out. There is no medication. No one knows what com- like how it comes out, and it lasts for three months, and your entire body looks like it's covered <sighs> in flea bites. 
Oh. And it's itchy. I don't even know how to describe it, but that was my reaction. Just terrible. Uh huh. That was literally my reaction to starting Pret and having the Avenue West at the same time. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, it is so wild just how stress will manifest itself yeah. in our bodies and in our lives in different mm-hmm. ways. And I was going to ask you, you know, if there was a period of time where you were doing both. So then what was the turning point for you when you were like, okay, like something needs to change. I actually can't do both at the same time. I think I knew that from the beginning. My fiance also is a startup founder mm. and he, I've been really fortunate that he's almost the opposite of me in so many ways. He's the worrier and I'm the, it's fine. Everything's fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So he was really the one who was like, you are not going to be happy because you're not going to be able to do a hundred percent of two things because it's true. Anyone who tells you they're, they own and run multiple companies is just either a liar or just bad at all of the things that they're doing. You can't mm-hmm. give yourself, like when you're building a startup, you have to give 150% of yourself. There is no way around that unless you want to have a like smaller company. And in that case, if that's your prerogative, then awesome. But if you really want to build truly something massive and at scale, and you know, if, if wealth is what you're looking for and you want to build true wealth, there is no such thing as work-life balance. And Mm. anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. That's so interesting. If you want to build a small company and you want to have, you know, do a few million dollars a year in revenue, like by all means have a work-life balance. That's nothing to be ashamed of. It's very, it's something to be proud of as well. But for me, I want to build something that gets to critical mass and just keeps going. So I knew I couldn't do both things. And so he was really, I mean, I was lucky to have him as a support because I didn't take a salary for a year. And I would have, if I was, if I was single, I would have moved home. Yeah. Like definitely. Yeah. <laughs> At 30 years old. No, honestly, <laughs> I get it. You really have to give everything. You have to give everything to it, including your money. Like I put ever after I sold the agency, every single dollar that came through went straight to building prep, every single dollar. Yeah. I love that you're sharing all of this because you're really removing the veil of what it takes to be successful in the startup space or even successful as an entrepreneur in general. Because I mean, I've said this before, but a lot of us look at entrepreneurship as this glamorous thing. You build a business, you start something you love, and then things just sort of fall into place. But the reality of entrepreneurship is just the total opposite. Yeah, no, it really absolutely is. And, and anyone who told you otherwise is definitely blowing smoke because there's no, yeah. I don't know any, any person. I've had so many clients who've either sold or acquired or, you know, I've had clients who, whose businesses had to go under and I've seen every single step. And I'm telling you, not one of those situations is different. The same level of stress, it hits you when you're trying to sell your company as when you have to tell all of your investors you're shutting it down. It's different. It's a different kind of stress, but it is the same level of, I don't know what I'm doing. And everyone experiences the, I, I think it was, I don't remember if I read it in Warren Buffett's biography or someone, someone like him, where he was like, I experience, I experience imposter syndrome every single day. Hmm. And it's completely true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like every day I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> yeah. No, listen, I totally get it. I mean, it's something that I, that I struggle with too. And I really come to realize, you know, that we all deal with those different levels of imposter syndrome. Like what the hell am I doing? Am I doing this right? Do I even know what I'm doing? And so how have you been able to push through that imposter syndrome for yourself? I mean, I think I went through a lot when I had the agency because I was so young. I didn't ask a lot of questions because I thought, okay, well, if I decided I was good enough to have a company, then I shouldn't have to ask any 
questions. Mm-hmm. And I I learned the hard way that you just can't do that. I think now I ask questions all the time. I have a really great group. Um, I'm a part of the Young Entrepreneurs Council, which I, I feel like I'm like their little personal cheerleader because I talk about it every single time <laughs> I talk about having a support system. Yeah. But truly, if I didn't have all my friends from the YEC and that support system of people who've been there before and who've done it or who are going through the same thing, I don't know what I would do because I literally ask questions all day, every day. And I think that I learned early that the best and most successful companies or founders or whoever are always asking questions of people who know more than them in different areas. So I ask people, you know, I have advisors who are amazing. I have, um, you know, we have some investors who are truly wonderful who will pick up the phone and answer questions and help as much as possible. So I learned early on, you just have to surround yourself with people who get it. And at the same time, on the other side of things, as much as I want to say, like I kept so many of my great, like my girlfriends when I was, going through the agency bill, but I didn't. I actually purged a lot and I learned early on that a lot of people you think are your friends and then you start a business and you're like, oh, look, not my friends. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about that support system? Because I think there's this illusion that when you start something that you're really excited and passionate about that everybody who has been in your corner will sort of stay in your corner and will continue to be supportive of you. And honestly, that hasn't been my experience completely. And so when I share that with people, they're a little surprised. And so it sounds like that's really been in your experience too that you've had to let go of some Every people. person I've ever spoken to has had the same experience. Wow. If you are going to, you have your closest friends who will always support you and then you have your fringe friends who you think are your close friends who maybe they were in your wedding or whatever it is who will not do it and it doesn't make any sense and it's still something I don't understand but mm-hmm. not one person I know who started a business has had a different experience than that. So it really comes down to you have to learn quickly that that's what's going to happen. You never know who those people are going to be. I was surprised by a few, definitely. You never know who those people are going to be, but you just need to expect it. And it just needs to be, it, it just needs to roll off your shoulders. Get, be, be sad about it for a grand total of five minutes and you're never so sad about it again. Yeah. Because it just, it makes you realize like, okay, well, I like, for example, if on Facebook one day I'm scrolling through and I see somebody who... I know who's like, hey, I just started this accessories company. The first thing I will do is literally go and buy something. Even if I hate it, I don't care. I know what it's like to not feel support in the beginning, if, especially if it's something that's not going to cost you $1,000. Like, yeah. like think about blowouts, for example. So with Pret, every one of those 1,000 people, other than my like three closest girlfriends, Every and, and obviously my staff at the Avenue S, because obviously they weren't going <laughs> right. to just not do it right. by, by, in my presence, but... Every single person of those thousand were strangers, mm. dead serious, all strangers. That is actually the saddest thing I've ever, like, if you think yeah. about it, if I, if I didn't learn that lesson early, I would have been, I would have been so upset. And the thing is, like, I learned that early. I knew for sure not one person is going to be anyone on my Facebook page. Not one person is going, like, they might all share it so that it's public, that they're like, here's my friend's thing, yeah. but none of them will actually buy something. And like, come on. $35 for a single blowout. Mm-hmm. Like, please, I've picked up lunch for more than that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we've had lunch and I've picked up the tab for way more than $35. You really just can't go and buy a blowout. Come on. 
So if you learn early, it, it helps. Yeah, this reminds me of something that my parents have been telling me for pretty much my entire life, which is to be like a duck and just let the water roll off your mm-hmm. back. I don't even know if I'm if I'm saying that right. But No, I think it's true though. Yeah, it's like it not is. letting it get to you because it can be so devastating when you expect to see and feel that support, especially when it's with people that you've supported along the way too. And so when that happens, you really have to be willing to go out and develop a new community and support mm-hmm system for yourself with people who are really in the same space as you and who really get it. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's, it's really, really sad that that's the case, but it just is. And yeah, you'll be surprised every time you start a new business, like, oh, look, this person said that they would be supportive and they never actually did it. So you just have to like, it, I, I personally, I think one of my superpowers, yeah. to be honest, is the fact that I don't take anything personally, mm-hmm. like at all. And I think that it's something that for me wasn't a difficult thing to learn, but for a lot of people it is. And if you can start practicing that now, yeah, you'll be better off. Yeah. Have you always been that way? Just someone who doesn't take things personally? I think so. I think more so now as an adult, but I've never felt like, for example, I, I had a friend, I guess maybe like in my early, early twenties, I had a friend who got mad at me. I didn't know about it. She didn't talk <laughs> to me for like for a really long time, yeah. but I didn't notice because she didn't reach out to me and I was so busy that I just, I didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. And I found out like six months later that she hated me. And I was like, I don't understand why I figured it out. It was because I guess I, she was mad at me and then I never reached out. And so then she just <laughs> got more mad. And, oh. I, and like, I feel like everyone has that story, but yeah. I personally didn't notice because if you don't reach out to me, then I don't think anything's wrong. Like, why would there yeah. be anything wrong? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm so hypersensitive. So not taking things personally is a big, it's a big struggle of mine. So it's interesting and really cool to hear how that's just kind mm-hmm. of who you are, which I think is so cool and so necessary in business and in the startup world where you really face rejection, you know, all the time. Yeah, no, it's true. You face rejection a lot. I mean, it's just, I think like, I think that everybody experiences rejection in a different way. But if you think about it, the only real reason you're taking something personally is because you've let their rejection rub off on you. And if you start going down that road, Mm -hmm. then you have no business starting a company anyway. Because if you, if you think that other people, other people's opinions of you matter or of your company matter, then you really aren't going to have a successful organization because you you can't, you can't have both of those things. So the earlier I think people learn that, the more, the quick, more quickly that they will be successful and the more quickly that they, they will move, which in turn means, you know, they're going to they're gonna grow much more quickly than someone who's worried. Yeah, this is so interesting and so true. You know, the more time that you spend worrying about what other people think really does interfere with your ability to grow and expand on your own terms. And it really sounds like so much of what you've learned and cultivated for yourself in life and in business has really come from concrete, you know, on the job experiences, things that you learn in the field through asking questions, going through and experiencing rejection and also having, you know, incredible success. And so when you started out, did you expect to learn as much as you have or or even have all of these different experiences, you know, when you started out? I expected to learn from clients because you kind of see from the back, especially if we're working with early stage companies, you're often working with directly with the founders, yeah. um, you know, cause the teams are usually so small, but I will say I, I expected to learn from them, but I didn't expect to learn what I did. 
Mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. I kind of, I learned, um, you know, one of the things that I have always said within the organ, within the agency was if people, if a, if a team wasn't excited about a client, we weren't going to take them. And if we didn't believe that the client would be successful, we also were not going to take them on. So we started to figure out where the identifying factors were. Like, for example, there's a three prong reason why I see companies fail. And it's first, for sure, still the case. Yeah. <laughs> Number one is their marketing doesn't exist. It's either non-existent or it is. Mm-hmm. Number two is their technology in the ca- in the case of you know a tech company or even if it's even if it's not a tech company, it could potentially be just like their business model. Yeah. And then number three is the founding team. If the founders are not completely behind each other a million percent, then there it's going to fall apart. So one of those three things. If we identify a problem in one of those three areas and the founders are not willing to learn, then we would never take them on. And that's true. If you look at every company that's fallen apart, yeah. those problems was Yeah, that's so interesting. And I love how really so much of it feels like going with your gut instinct and your intuition. And but I think so many of us, you know, don't really trust that gut instinct. Like, maybe you notice the founders don't all get along, Mm -hmm. but you figure it's something they can push through or get through when instead, it's probably, you know, a huge red flag. So in setting all of that up for yourself, it really sounds like it's been about trusting, you know, your intuition that way. Totally. I mean, the other thing is too, I've seen a lot of, I've seen really successful founding teams. My fiance's company is called Saucy. It's an alcohol delivery app and three, there's three founders and each of them, I've learned so much from them, just watching them grow. We actually, the way we met was because uh, my agency launched their company. So we actually oh. ended up getting, we ended up dating afterwards, but separate story. Oh, yeah. Um <laughs> we, I really watched them from day one. Wait, when they hired us, they hadn't even launched publicly yet. So mm. I saw them grow through over the last four years. And the reason that they work so well together is because they each have a very, very different and specific skill set. Mm. So for example, my fiance is their CTO. He's all engineering all the time, can make anything work. Um, Chris is their CEO, who is probably one of the most brilliant people that I've ever met. He is, mm. he has a very strong marketing brain. He really, really understands how to lead. He's a, he's really one of those CEOs that you want to follow over the edge of the cliff if you have to, mm-hmm. one of those. And then Dan is their chief product officer and he is just a design genius. So all of them really stay in their own lanes and trust each other to do those things. And those are three big functions of a tech company. So it really, it really, really, it really, really helped them and it helped them grow quickly. And and they don't have internal issues amongst the three of them because they all defer to each other for different things. Yeah. So it's about knowing your strengths and then Mm -hmm. playing to those strengths. And then in areas where you're not an expert, you know, not being afraid to really look to someone who Mm -hmm. is and to trust that expertise. And it totally goes back to what you were saying at the beginning, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions because you can't know everything and you can't know everything all the time. And sometimes, you know, the greatest education that you can really get is through asking those questions. And so did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? No, I don't think so, actually. I think maybe I thought working for myself eventually would be something I'd want to do. Yeah. I know I, yeah, I guess I didn't really set out to, to make that my, my life this early. I think um, like both my parents own their own businesses. 
they're smaller businesses, but they both own them. And I think maybe I grew up, you know, with their work ethic. Yeah. And that's probably why it was so much easier for me to start in the beginning, even if I didn't really know it yet. I can't really remember. I was always a really ambitious kid. Um, I, I just was born that way. I think my, it probably drove my parents completely insane and many, many times. I mean, my, my mom always tells this story actually about how when I, um, when it was time for her to start the process, the fact that I was being told what to do was the biggest problem. So for example, if she would say, all right, you have to now like use the bathroom, right? Right. I would, it would make me so mad that someone else was telling me what to do. It wasn't the fact that I was going to do it because I was going to do it anyway. It was the fact that someone was telling me I had to. Mm. So I picked a day on the calendar and informed my parents on that day, because I chose it, is the day I'm going to be potty trained. <laughs> and literally, I think they thought I was, I was kidding. But that day, came downstairs, never, ever touched another diaper again. It wow. was because it was my choice. And so I think my mom <laughs> uses that to describe my personality perfectly. And it's yeah. completely true. It's true to this day. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> no, this is amazing. So it really had to be your idea, your decision, your choice on your time. My timing. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think that's so cool because so much, you know, of this life is about knowing when things are meant for you and when you want to do them and doing them when I guess the timing, you know, lines up. So I love that this has just really been, you know, your personality from day one. It just doesn't, you can't, it, basically what it is, is you just cannot tell me what to do. I have to like, <laughs> I will personally make my own choice. Yeah. But the thing, the thing is though, it's less about, I think it's actually less about uh, timing feels right because I have a very, I'm the, I'm the opposite of risk averse. Like I, mm. I do not have a single aversion to risk at all. I'm a bone in my body. Like I will just do things. I yeah. think you have to be that way in order to start a business because I, yeah. if I waited or if anyone waits until the timing is perfect, they're, they're going to be waiting forever. Timing is yeah. never perfect. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was, it's, it's pretty, pretty true to this day that that's exactly what my personality was when I was two <laughs> and my personality today. <laughs> oh, I love this. So, so what would you say then has been the biggest risk that you've taken so far? Definitely starting the Avenue West was one really big one, but I think probably Pret is bigger only because it requires so much upfront cash in order to make a technology company work. Right. So, you know, with the consulting firm, you get clients, you get money, you hire, you get more clients, more money, hire. So there's never any fronting of cash, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. And in this mm -hmm. case, you really do have to front all of it. Not to mention both Andrew and I, I think it would have been a bigger risk or, or maybe more irresponsible if we had kids, which we don't have. So we have four yeah. dogs, but no kids. So, um, I don't know if I would have made that exact same choice. I would have done some version of it for sure. But I think maybe starting Pret was like, was the biggest risk. Yeah. Also saying no to an investor was really typical for me too. Yeah. It's so interesting how both of those risks obviously have such a high payout, have such a high reward. But then of course, you know, on the flip side, it could just mean a total loss mm -hmm. of income or, you know, a project doesn't go through. I mean, it has high, high risks associated with it. And so when you're in a situation where you have to say no to something that either looks really appealing or would solve, you know, a ton of problems in that moment, what, what is that like? What was that like for yeah, you? Yeah, to be honest, it would have been, I'm really glad I didn't do it. We did raise money um, or late last year, or sorry, summer of last year. 
Um, and one of the investors that I was introduced to by a friend, we went down the path for multiple meetings. Um, and this was one of the first people I talked to actually. So this was prior to having any real experience, um, raising money. Um, and I could just tell there was something like, it was a really strong gut feeling that they were going to be a nightmare to work with. And they were offering me a lot of money that would solve a lot of problems at that moment because we would be mm-hmm. able to scale very quickly. However, I learned from Andrew and his friends. There was a friend of his um, who had an early stage. I think it was maybe their first round of funding. They took from someone who was a absolute nightmare and almost made it so they couldn't sell their company because wow. he had some weird like investor provision or whatever it might have been. He just he made it a problem. So, um, they are, so I said no to him and it was maybe the hardest thing ever because it was a quarter of a million dollars and it would have been really great to have at the time. Yeah. But I said no, and I'm so thankful because now we have just the most amazing group of investors that I could possibly ask for. All of them have been operators before more than 70% of them are, um, are female. So Hmm. it's pretty cool. I'm glad I said that. Um, yeah, and I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier, you know, just about cultivating that network and community that will support you and be the right fit. And I find it interesting, too, that most of the most of them are women, and we're definitely in a time where there are more female entrepreneurs and within that women supporting other women. And so to see that in the tech world, to see so many women mm-hmm. starting their own tech companies and then putting in the capital to support other women it's really cool to see. And I just love that you're really part of that. You know, I'm, I'm really thankful that I have a lot of, of great, great folks behind us. I couldn't ask for better yeah. investors. So who has been your biggest inspiration so far? Hmm. I mean, so many, I feel like it's a lot of, a, a lot of little things from many people. I don't know. I think my fiance is a pretty big inspiration just because I know how hard he works. I'm trying to think if there's like one specific person that's really like changed my overview, but really I have so many amazing people around me that are all talented in very different fields that I feel like I draw inspiration from all of them. Mm -hmm. The other thing is too, I I encourage people to think about the five people they spend the most time and energy with because you really do become the average of those five. Like really, really, really do. Yeah. And I think, you know, I have a friend, a very close girlfriend of mine who has just trash friends. They're just not good people. Like I I just, I don't understand why she enjoys them. They don't have any drive. They have no reason to, they they don't contribute anything to society. Like there's, it's just, it's awful. And I I try and remind her all the time. I'm like, those, those, those are taking up part of your five spaces. And so you're never going to be able to grow if you end up having, if you have people like that who are, taking up your time and energy. You're just not. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, you know, part of it too is really looking at how those people are contributing to your well-being and how you're contributing to theirs and really taking stock of that and looking at how, you know, they make you feel. And if they make you feel like crap about yourself and what you're doing, it's like, hello, goodbye. Like, like this doesn't work. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really, really sad. But I think people start to realize maybe sometimes later in life. Um, yeah. But I hope, I hope that people kind of start thinking about that. I mean, it's really, it's really, really tragic to think about like having someone who's just a toxic person 
you don't realize they're toxic until you do take stock. Yeah, exactly. And you really won't know, you know, until you do exactly that. And really on the other end of that too, is taking stock Mm -hmm. of yourself and your surroundings and taking a look, you know, at your journey. And so has following your passions and doing what you want to do and what you love to do, has that always been easy for you or have you come up against a lot of resistance, you know, along the way? I think it's been pretty easy for me to do. I I think everyone experiences the feelings of, I don't think I'm going to be able to pull this off, but they usually come immediately after and right before your feeling of like a high of look what I did. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for people to take a deep breath and look around and see what they've built sometimes because you end up operating in a vacuum for such a long period of time that you don't even really realize, wait a second, look at how cool this is, you know, when I realized one day that I, when I said out loud, oh, wow, we're in 12 markets, that was hmm. crazy to me because I remember we started with one and it just, for whatever reason at that moment, I realized like, that's really, you know, we're now across the country or, or whatever it might be. But I think a lot of people have a hard time reminding themselves where they're at. You know, yeah. I have a girlfriend who had freaked out about her finances for an entire year last year because she had just gone off on her own. And, um, she, called me, I want to say like in March when she was doing her taxes and she had realized she made well over mid six figures last year and had no idea because she was just freaking out and packing it all away thinking my taxes are going to be so high. I'm going to lose all my money. I don't know what I'm going to do. And she made a lot of money last year. And I was like, see, this is the problem. You have to stop panicking every five minutes because (laughs) you could have literally looked at your savings account or like asked your accountant where you're at any other, any point in time last year. And you wouldn't have had them given yourself an offer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. I've never had that problem. Oh, thank goodness though, <laughs> right? So how have you been able to keep your mindset and your perspective and stay away from that panic and fear that so many of us obviously experience when we go out on our own or start a business or, or launch a startup? I mean, I know. You just kind of have to be along for the ride. Like I, I don't, I'm not a huge crier when it comes to work or anything like that. Um, but I've definitely had my time where I've just had a full breakdown. I needed to cry or I've had days where I just thought like everything was going to fall apart and I wasn't going to know what to do. And what am I going to tell? What am I going to tell everybody? But it, it is immediately followed by something really good. It always does. So you just have to kind of remember that, I think. Yeah. And so to keep in mind, you know, that you will Mm -hmm. have highs and you will have lows. And sometimes in the same hour, literally literally. sometimes right in the same hour and then being mindful of that. And so much of it too is about being okay with that and knowing that it's part of the ride. And with that, Mm -hmm. realizing like, okay, this is part of it. So I don't have to be so hard on myself. I can be more compassionate and kind. And so how have you been able to, well, okay, is self-love, even in the picture when you're launching a startup? I mean, I know earlier you mentioned, you know, work-life balance really isn't a thing, but is maintaining that level of self-love and being kind to yourself, does that, does that exist or has that played, you know, a role for you? Um, yeah, no, I think, I think you have to, but everyone's is very different. I think everybody has a very different version of that. I wish that I could say that I do something like meditate, but I don't. <laughs> I think I have to be better. I have to be better about stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I think it, it just has, it's everyone's version of that is different. There's no, like, I don't think there's really any recommendation that I could make that's very specific to yeah. that would work for anybody. I think you just have to like do stuff that you enjoy as well. Yeah. And also recognize that sleep is important. Totally. I'm one of those people who can fall asleep in any situation anywhere, but 
not everybody is like that. (laughs) Honestly, I am so jealous of people who can totally just sleep anywhere because it is such a gift. It really is. Right? To just be able to (laughs) close your eyes and tap out at any time. And so what are some things that you enjoy doing that you love doing that really bring you joy? I know this is really weird, but I love to um, advise other companies. It keeps me creative. Um, yeah. So work is really fun for me, but I also do like stunt marketing. So I just like think of fun ideas. So it is like a little bit more of a creative outlet for me. That, but for, you know, for other people, sometimes it's like working out or painting or whatever. Yeah. So for you, it really does go back to business and what you love so much about, you know, the work that you're doing. Right. Yeah. So we have to talk a little bit more about Pret and what it is. So what can someone expect when they use the app and what really makes it different from other similar, you know, service companies out there? Well, for for number one, we work with high-end salons. Uh, The best way to describe it is a bit like ClassPass. So you tell us where you are, what time you would like your appointment, and we match you with the closest salon to you with that appointment time. So you could say, I'm on the corner of Fairfax and Melrose. I want an appointment at 4 p.m. today. We'll match you with a salon that's usually within a walking distance because West Hollywood is so saturated with salons. Yeah. Um, but we'll match you with one at 4 p.m. and you can go at, at that point in time to the salon that we match you with. So it's pretty fast. I think across the board, we're probably going to move to different versions of services very soon. We've had a lot of requests for massages, actually, so we'll see. Um, I don't, I can't confirm that yet necessarily because we've just really been talking about it. Um, but there's like a lot of opportunities for something like that. Yeah, definitely. And I love that you're looking at ways to expand. And so what has been the biggest thing that you've learned, you know, about yourself just kind of going through this entire journey? Maybe patience. <laughs> I still don't have very much patience, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I think it's, it's important, especially when building technology, it's very unlike anything else. You really have to wait. You really have to give yourself some some space to create that stuff because engineers can only build so fast. And I think a lot of people just assume that you can build a feature very quickly, but it's very much like building a house where if you, if you build the majority of a home and then you say, Oh, you know what? I actually want a different room in this area. You have to break down a lot of what you've already built to add that area. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So it's not like, oh, you can just do this all of a sudden. So and that was, that's been the biggest learning experience, I think, for me. But other than that, I think just in general, patience. Also, like learning, learning patience in like a leadership situation is a lot, is a lot more difficult. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's hard because people are never going to care as much about your organization as you do. And you have to remember that. Yeah, that's such a good point. It's a totally different experience to be the leader or the person that started it all, you know, versus being being a team member. Yeah, it's a very different experience. So what would you say is your biggest dream? You know, probably to sell Pratt and keep making things. I don't think I will ever be able to just retire. I think I'll get bored. I I really do love, I love to advise other companies. I love to be creative for them. You know, I think when I sell Pratt, it'll be, or when we exit, whatever that looks like, I think I'll be ready to start the next thing pretty soon after. So I want to continue this journey. I love what I'm doing with Pratt, but I know that that's not the end of my level of creativity or my, or my journey. I think I'm only 30 years old, mm-hmm. so there's 
much to do still. Like, I, I have a feeling I'm going to have a very, very long career. I mean, my parents are still working. I love this. I love how it's just really about never stop creating and allowing yourself the Mm -hmm. space and the freedom to continue to grow. And Nina, I have loved having this conversation with you and really diving deep into, you know, what it takes to launch a startup and a business. And this has been such a fun conversation. So where can everyone find Pret and find you and learn more and really start using the app? Yeah. So we're in the app store and Google play. Um, we are, it's just Pret, P-R-E-T-E. Our website is P-R-E-T-E. R-E-T-E.co. I'm probably easily most easily found on Instagram, honestly. It's like the what I don't I don't know why I don't use Twitter, but I'm just Nina Ojeda uh, on Instagram. Okay, perfect. And I'll include everything in the show notes for today's episode so everyone can find awesome. it and start using Pret. And thank you so much again, Nina, for coming on the podcast and chatting with me. This was a lot of fun getting to know you. Yeah, thank you for having me. 